Good morning, everybody. How are you today? Really good. It's an honor and a joy to be with you. And um, every opportunity to meet with God's family is just such a privilege for me. Um, I am a third generation Christian. My grandfather came to Christ after the Second World War. Uh, no follow up, uh, no greeting at the door. There wasn't a door. Uh, he gave his life to Christ in an old barn where some missionaries had come from America, Italians, to a little town called Ponte, which means bridge, in southern Italy, in a place called Benevento, which is good wind. And so uh, a town of 1,500 people and uh, 900 people in that town came to Christ. My grandfather was one of the first. He gave his life to Christ on one night. The second night he got filled with the Holy Spirit, didn't know what it was found himself speaking in a language he'd never heard, praising and worshipping God, and uh, goes home from this barn uh, to another part of the farm that he had, a tobacco farm, and as he's going across the bridge, Ponte, he went to light up a cigarette and it made him feel like vomiting, and he just chucked it away and never smoked again, never swore again, and just things just changed from the inside out. Out of that town of 1,500 people, 12 pastors have gone to all different parts of the world. One of them, a relative of ours, went to South America, and today he's oversighting 22 churches in Uruguay, Montevideo. And my dad pioneered that first church with that man, and at the age of four, uh, I went to Australia with my parents, where my dad planted a church, an Italian-speaking church in Adelaide, Australia, and so with my grandchildren today, there are five generations of Christians and thousands of people impacted around the world by one little town coming to Christ. I tell you that because during the worship, I was worshiping with you and my mind went back to that little farm, which I visited just a few years ago, a little barn where a revival started. And I'm standing here today because of my granddad's obedience. Five generations, and now my grandchildren are following God. My two sons, pastors, one of them was killed in 2016 by a lightning strike in our city at a youth camp. You may say, well, where was God when that happened? And I want to tell you, when you know God for real, when you know He's more than just a belief system, and you know God to be your absolute Lord and Saviour, that happened for me at the age of 11, and it continued to happen, many, many, many relationships with Jesus that cannot be denied. You don't understand everything, but when you don't have clarity, you can trust God's sovereignty. And I want to tell you, I walk with a limp. Uh, this morning, I woke up at four o'clock in the morning, and I turned on the TV to see, or the TV was already on, on the news, and I was looking for preachers, and so I'm flicking through the channel and there's a, a lady in New Zealand who has just moved into a new home that's been built that her husband designed but died before it was finished. And so as they're interviewing her, I'm bawling my eyes out, thinking of all the things my son can't see now that are happening in his children because he's in heaven. I walk with a limp. It's very, very painful. I had no idea that I would pray for over 2,000 people that have lost their children. And so I stand before you today with a sense of responsibility not to give you a nice talk. I stand before you not with a sense of what's a nice little sermon. Uh, I'm over sermons. Uh, I don't want to just, uh, you know, preach to people. I want to reach people. And I pray that when we leave today, the message tastes better tomorrow. And the day after and the day after, I'm Italian and I love cooking. And boy, do we like making pasta. Uh, I wanted to cook while I was here. We never got the opportunity. But I tell you what, when I cook that pasta sauce on Saturday, it smells the whole house out. And uh, on Sunday, when my grandkids come over, it smells even better. And because you reheat it and it just tastes better. But what a lot of people don't know is Italians always cook more than you need. And so what happens is there's always leftovers. And if there's leftover pasta in the fridge and you pull out a frying pan on Monday or Tuesday, and you reheat that leftover with a little bit of extra virgin olive oil, you're getting hungry, and, uh, and, and you just make it nice and, and, and a little bit of butter, and it gets all crispy around the edges, it tastes better. And I felt God say to me, your sermons, Danny, need to taste better on Monday. They need to taste better on Tuesday. 
It's one thing to give it to you today. I pray you can take this home today. And when you eat it tomorrow and the day after, it'll taste great. And you go, that was the word of the Lord. And so I'm very, very uh, privileged to be with you. And uh, I got up early this morning and I started to pray and ask God to, to, to uh, give me stuff that I can share with you. Uh, I am married to Sharon, my wife, 44 years this year. She hasn't spoken to me for three years. She didn't want to interrupt me. And so, uh, you know, the, the bad dad jokes, you know. I told one church next year is our 45th and I'm taking her to Italy for our 45th. The whole church clapped. I said, for our 50th, I'm going to go and get her back. And so they didn't think that was funny. But um, she's a great lady. She's praying for us while we're here. She's not a stage person. She loves children. She's given her life for children. And she's a prayer. And she's an intercessor. And she'll be praying for you today. So I'm very grateful uh, to be married to an Australian lady that was raised on a farm, one of 10 children. And I'm an only child and I'm Italian. So I don't know what happened there. Uh, I married a Peterson, I'm a Guglielmucci, so something is quite strange there, but we better move on. But five generations and uh, still serving Jesus, but we've had to live with contrast. The Christian life is not all about blessing all the time. We don't come to Jesus because he blesses us all the time. We come to Jesus because he's the truth. And if we don't get that right, then people get all upset. Do you know how many Christians divorce churches? because they didn't get what they wanted in the church they were in, then they go off and marry another church. And let me tell you, when it comes to spirituality, people have had up to 12, 13, 14 different marriages. You know, and I want to say this, divorce in the Christian church, spiritually speaking, not in the natural, that happens and, and God forgives and restores and we know the wonderful love of God. And He does in the church as well. But we're in a new day today. We're in a new era. God is visiting the planet right now and there's some big changes coming for the church. I'm still standing. My grandfather, I did his funeral many years ago now, 1994. And when I spoke at my grandfather's funeral, I took 1 Corinthians 13 and I was able to put his name there. My grandfather was kind. My grandfather was loving. He reached out to people. I mean, my grandfather was never a negative Christian. And so I have so many good memories of my grandfather and I want to live on those wonderful truths that he passed on to the family. And now I have seven grandchildren and I'm watching God touch their lives. In a moment, I'm going to show you a photo of my 11-year-old grandson who's recently got baptised. I thought he was too young at 11, but when I read to you his revelation that he had of Jesus, you'll understand with me why he needed to be baptised. I was 11 when I had my first encounter with Jesus. My grandson's father died two years ago. That little boy could be all upset with God. His older brother, 16, could all be also upset with God. But because he's had his own revelation of Jesus, it's amazing what he says to me. I was at the house babysitting just a few weeks ago. And he said to me, no, no, because that's the Italian name for granddad. He says, no, no, will you pray over me the prayer my dad used to pray over me before he put me to sleep. It was written in my son's handwriting in a picture frame next to his bed. Every one of his children, four of them, and I have three to another son, grandchildren, but four of his kids with the prayer of the dad, their dad that used to pray over them every um, night when he put them to bed. I'm halfway through the prayer and I burst into tears. I couldn't finish. This is my grandson that I'm praying for, the prayer of his dad who's in heaven now. He sits up in bed and he starts rubbing my back. He goes, don't cry, no, no. Heaven is our home. And Jesus will carry us through. And we've got to keep preaching the good news because one day we'll see dad again. And here's my 11-year-old grandson praying for granddad, the strong traveling preacher. I've been serving Jesus for 40 years, served another man for 21 and pastored my own church for 22. And four years ago, God told me to hand the church over to the next generation and to become a spiritual dad to pastors and churches and boards and elders around the world that need a Holy Spirit hug to get us back into biblical pattern. 
My life message is we got to get back to the Bible. Ladies and gentlemen today, please don't use the Bible just as a devotional. It's also a non-negotiable. The Word of God isn't just so we get our lucky dip scripture. I heard one preacher on TV this morning. He said, it's okay to open the Bible and put your finger in and God can speak to you and I'm sure He can. But let me tell you, you might get some really interesting scriptures like the person who put their finger in and it said, and Judas said, go and uh, went and hung himself, you know. And so you don't, you don't want to just always open and just put your finger in. We need a systematic way of building the Bible pattern into our lives. And the Bible has gone missing in Pentecostal churches all over the world because people do not know doctrine and scripture. They just go to church to be massaged. And we can't, it's good to be massaged. It's good to feel good. But God is restoring some truths. Some of the things that God is doing with me is giving me prophetic pictures for the body of Christ. I've only picked a couple of them before I go into my main thought today to give to you because this is happening all over Australia, all over the world. I fly every week. I fly when I can, exit row, so I've got more leg room. But if you're in exit row, the steward would say this to you. If you hear the words evacuate evacuate, are you prepared to open the doors and help us get people out onto the wings as if that's ever going to happen? And every week I could do it off by heart. I was flying to Brisbane not that long ago and I felt the Holy Spirit say, do you know a lot of Christians are evacuating their faith, evacuating church because there's a bit of turbulence. But you see, you're only meant to evacuate when the captain says, but there's a lot of Christians that listen to people around them. And so there's a little bit of turbulence, something's going on and people want to evacuate. They want to evacuate and people get out, they go to different places because they don't want to be part of this turbulence, but the plane ain't gonna crash. The plane will get to its destination if the captain doesn't say evacuate, you don't listen to a passenger who says evacuate. And the Holy Spirit said to me, the church needs to go from evacuate to evaluate. I want you to hear that today. That's why I'm here this week, so we can evaluate and see what can we do better? What can we honour God with more? How can we obey the Scriptures? And I believe all over the world, there is a right in the Western church, there's an evaluation going on because Jesus wants his church back and he wants to build it his way. And when he builds it his way, it's not full of division. When Jesus builds his church, it's full of provision and there's full of godly submission, and we get hold of his vision. I've never said that before. I'm going to turn that into a rap song. That'll be really good. Okay, so the number one thing that God is doing right now around the Western world is getting us to evaluate where the church is at. I'll read scripture in a moment, and I think this is going to encourage you. Also, Christianity is being clarified. There is a reformation of the church taking place right now. I shared to the pastors that were in this room last time I was here how a New York um, uh, reporter for the New York Times went out and did research on whether the church is dying. And as he researched thousands of people across America from the New York Times, he discovered something. He said there are three types of Christians. This is an atheist reporter. He said there are Christians who just go to church once in a blue moon just because they were born into a Christian family. There are Christians who go to special occasions, Christmas and Easter, and they call themselves Christians, but what they do at church doesn't change their worldview. And then he says, then I found another group of Christians that I call conversion Christians. And they are the people that what they believe is their worldview. He said, that group is growing faster than I ever dreamt are mainly amongst the Hispanic people in California. And this is what the atheist reporter said. I want you to hear it. He said, I thought Christianity was over. He said, I thought Christianity had no relevance anymore. And I discovered that Christianity is not dying. It's just being clarified. Did you hear that? It's just being clarified. And I believe that God is clarifying the church. He's clarifying what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We don't just receive Jesus. We're called to follow Jesus. We're called to be disciples of Jesus. And that is all coming back to the church. We're getting back to the things that really matter. 
And you'll see why in just a moment. Uh, you see, too many people only park at the ark. The ark that Noah built is a type of the church. It's a type of Jesus. There's many types around the ark. And the ark was a place of deliverance. The ark was a place of preservation and, and protection. But it took people to a destination. People didn't live in the ark forever. The ark released them to go and be all that they needed to be, to be fruitful, to have dominion, and to multiply. And that's what the purpose of the church is. The church is not a place we go to. It's a people we are. We are the church. We don't just go to church. And therefore, if we park at the ark and only argue over issues of the ark, and this is happening all over the world. It's keeping me in a job. As I'm going into churches where there are all kinds of issues because the focus is only on the ark. And we're not, spent, we're not meant to park at the ark or place our blessed assurance in a pew in the ark and not be sent from the ark to be all that God has called us to be to transform our communities. Elephants produce about 36 kilos of poo-poo every day. Can you imagine that in the ark? Can you imagine elephants and giraffes and all kinds of animals? I wouldn't want to park at the ark and just make it about the ark. But thank God that with all the mess that's in church life all around the world, we're, not me we're meant to fix it. Ladies and gentlemen, the stink inside the ark was still better than the storm outside. I would rather be in a broken church than be in the world. I would rather be in a church that's still sorting things out than be out there outside the protection of God. The ark is the answer to the world. We need to bless the ark, not bash the ark. We need to build the ark and we need to live beyond the ark. And I believe God is calling the church to be the church because I'm going to read a scripture in just a moment where we've not arrived there yet, but we will. I've got good news today. God is building his church. And now let me tell you, the church can only be powerful if every one of us has our own revelation of who God is. You can't go on the church of the yum cha. Do you have yum cha in New Zealand? When you go to a Chinese restaurant and there's yum cha, we'll have a little bit of this. We'll have a little bit of Bethel. We'll have a little bit of T.D. Jakes. We'll have a little bit of what's happening in that corner. And the things go round and we just grab them, but they're not our own personal revelation. And so what happens, those things aren't wrong. I'm not having to go at Bethel. That's not their problem. But you know how many people in Australia can't stay in their church because their church doesn't feed them enough and they've got to catch a plane and go somewhere else across the world to get the anointing. That is an absolute reproach to me that Jesus Christ can't build his church everywhere he said he would build it. That we have to say, there he is over there. there the Bible predicts that those days would come. But I want to tell you, my friends, today, there's a better way and I'm going to give it to you in a moment. It's no use addressing these things without an answer. There's the some say church, the some say church. So let me read a scripture, opening scripture, Matthew 16, 13 today out of the Message Bible. Just I like the wording of it. When Jesus arrived in the villages of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what are people saying about who the Son of Man is? They replied, some say, the some say church, some say he's John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. He pressed them and how about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Listen to this. Jesus came back. God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My Father in heaven, God himself, let you in on the secret of who I really am. And now I'm going to tell you who you are, really are. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I will put together my church. A church so expensive, I mean, sorry, expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. Don't tell me the modern church is like this, but it's going to be. We're going to get there. We're on that journey. 
And God is coming back for this kind of church, not the kind of church we want, the kind of church He wants, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom, keys to open every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes on heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. This message was so sparked in my heart by what I see as I go around the world. I was talking to someone who's just lost her husband and they've left the church because where was God when my husband died? And you think Christians die every day. People have been dying forever. So why do you walk out on God because your husband died? Is there a right time for him to die? When's the right time? Now, I'm not being nasty, but I'm saying if we come to Jesus because of what he does and we don't come to Jesus because of who he is, we're going to have this merry-go-round of churchians, not Christians. A churchian is a churchgoer. A Christian is a Christ follower. A churchian is easily offended. A Christian is easily extended. Do you know if you are offendable, God will arrange for you to be offended? He will, because if you don't become offendable, not non-offendable, God will let you get offended all the time until one day you don't get offended because you turn your offense into an appointment with Jesus and you let him grow you. Man, if I had to be offended about all the things that have been said about me, I've been the fourth member of the Trinity and I've been the demonic force. You know, you get accused from one end to the other. The issue is I can't be offendable because I am extendable because every time there's an offense, God can grow me and make me a better Christian so I can be more like Jesus. And so we go from churchianity to Christianity. And this message today, which I'm going to give to you very clearly in just a second, that's from this passage of Scripture, was also impacted my heart. It also impacted my life by my 11-year-old grandson and a young lady I'm going to talk to you about in just a moment. Elijah is 11. He sent me this. Mum and I were in the car talking about having your own story that you hold on to when times are tough. 11, guys, he's just turned 11. When things are going bad and you question, is God real? You need to have your own God revelation. I realized God was saying to me all week, Jeremiah 29 verse 9. I didn't know it was God speaking because everyone says Jeremiah 29 11. So I asked mum to read her Bible on her phone and then I read it. God, you've given me the scripture that says they are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. I'm reading this and I go, where's this going? When I was at Keith Cott Primary School, the kids used to say to me that the church was playing with my mind and that God never existed and he couldn't be real. They also said that I was being delusional. God's given me this scripture so I don't have to doubt anymore. I know that he's real. And I only need to listen to his voice. He was actually 10 when he got that. He's only just turned 11. And God puts Jeremiah 29.9 in his head. He doesn't even know what it says. And it heals him from bullying at school after his father dies. And I was in Brisbane and he says, Nono, will you fly home and baptize me? Because I want to give my life to Jesus. And I realized I was 11 when I first gave my life to Jesus Christ for real. And I'm still here today at 62. But I want to show you the picture of baptizing him. There's little Elijah. Now you've got to imagine, I'm baptizing Elijah. He's 11. His older brother, Ezekiel, is 16 last week who was baptized by his dad a few months before he died, before his dad died. Now he's helping me baptize his younger brother. And at the end of this event, the older one came to me and he said, no, no, I want to finish the work my daddy started. My son was a youth pastor. He was at a youth camp the day he got killed and he was killed instantly by a lightning strike while the kids watched it happen. His oldest son saw it happen. And I want to tell you, he could have said, where's God? You know where you could shove God. You know what to do with that. But at 16, he says, I want to finish the work my dad started. And I want to be a youth pastor just like my dad. I want to tell you, friends, the gospel can take you through any serious situation in your life if it's personal and if it's become real to you and not the church of some say. 
and not the church of Yamcha, but the, uh, the, the church of what I say. And so we go back to this passage of Scripture, and I'm going to give you five revelations very quickly <clears throat> that Jesus gave Peter, that I have lived these revelations for 50 years now, or, or more, nearly 51 years, and I didn't know them in this order, but they've been in my life. Now I can give it this description, but I was reading the passage of Scripture after what happened with my grandson, I came back to this passage of Scripture and I'm going to give you five things or revelations that Jesus gives Peter in this one conversation that every Christian has to embrace. And if you don't, you'll never be happy with the church. You won't be happy with your pastor. You won't be happy with people in the church. You will for a while, but you won't do the distance. Ladies and gentlemen, I am one decision away from becoming a total idiot. One decision, and I don't want to start well, have a good in-between, and finish hitting the wall because of disappointment. I've got every reason to be disappointed with losing a son in the middle of his ministry, another son who broke severely, a daughter now who struggles with all that. I can say, God, enough. I've had enough. I'm out of here. Where can I go? Join Buddha? Become a Hare Krishna? I might look like I am. Become a Muslim? Either Jesus is the truth or he isn't. And if he's the truth, you watch these five steps. They will bless you today. And I pray that you will encounter God in a fresh way. You see, two questions Jesus asked the disciples. Who do some say? I am. You know, when Jesus asked that question, they were surrounded with idols or models or statues of all the other gods that were around in those days. There was a cave, and in that cave, there was, there was a place of worship for other gods. So when Jesus says to the disciples, who do people say that I am? They were surrounded by all the other possible I ams that weren't I ams. And so he says, who do people say I am? What do some people say? And then the second question, who do you say? I love motor cars. I'm into motorsport. Absolutely love motorsport. And I've always bought and sold cars before I was in ministry to make a little bit of extra money. I would get a car, I'd put mag wheels on it, I'd get it all cut and polished, and then I would sell it and make a few dollars. And I used to do that in my early years when we first got married. I was married at 18. So had a few years of not enough income coming in, had two or three jobs going at once. I always, as an Italian, loved to get a bargain. And I always wanted to show off that I got the best deal. And one day, a friend of mine called Stuart rings me and he goes, Danny, I know you're looking for a new car. There's a little old man. He's about 85 and he's not going to drive anymore and he's got this beautiful VB Calais Commodore. Some of you don't even know what that is. It's not a beer. It was the model of a Commodore. And he said, it's immaculate. And he can't drive anymore and he only wants $7,000. I said, Stuart, get it for me. He goes, do you want to have a look at it? I said, no, no, if you, have you seen it? He goes, if you don't buy it, I will, Danny. I said, get it for me. And so I bought the car. One day, shortly after I bought it, I was running late to pick someone up from the airport, so I took it through the car wash. I don't normally take a car through the car wash. I do it myself. As I took the car through the car wash, it filled up with water. Something wasn't right. I used to think it pulled to the left a little bit. So I took the car to the authorities the next day and said, can you check this car out? And he goes, this car is never going back on the road again. I said, why? He said, it's two cars that have been chopped in half and joined to become one car and then resprayed to look like a new car. The little old man was a front for his son's crooked crash repair business. <laughs> and so the son used to use the dad to hock off the cars. And I got sucked in. I told everybody it was God's provision. I had to repent. And, uh, and realized I went on what some say. I didn't check it out for myself. Now, my friend Stuart was a good friend and he went by the image of the old man. You know, sometimes we can make decisions on the image of something or on what some say. Now, in church life, we need a good some say. We need people to say things to people about God and bring them to church and they can find good God. So it's good to have the good some say. But you know, when something goes wrong in your life, some say won't help you. When my son died, Christians all told me some of the biggest garbage I've ever heard in my life. 
Oh, God loved your son so much, he created the lighting strike to take him home. Really? I don't think that's the God I know. And so people would tell me things. Oh, Pastor Danny, my son came back to Christ at your son's funeral, so God allowed your son to die so mine could live. How does that make me feel as a father? You really think that God would do that? He did kill his own son. His name was Jesus on a cross, so we could all live. And all of a sudden, I realized how many Christians don't know their Bibles, they don't know theology, and then get caught up in church stuff. So then Jesus turns around and says to Peter, not to Peter, sorry, to the disciples, who do you say that I am? And only Peter comes back with revelation. The others stayed in reason. But this is the revelation. I'm going to put it on screen for you because if you can get hold of this, it'll blow you away. It blew me away because it's been the truth of my journey. Number one, we all at some point have to have an encounter with deity. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That is not you're a good teacher, you're one of the belief systems. Oprah says that she believes in Jesus, but she doesn't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Do you know how many people sit in church that wonder about that? I tell you today, there's only one way to heaven. And it's through Jesus Christ. And he's the only one that died for us and rose from the dead. And Peter has a revelation. If we can put it on screen, there we are. Number one of deity. Number two, he then shows Peter his identity. He says, Peter, now that you know who I am, I'm going to show you who you are. You see, no amount of same-sex marriage, no amount of signing off on laws. No amount is going to fix people's identity. I talk to people that have tried all that and still can't find their identity because our identity is not found in our sexuality. Our identity is found in knowing deity, the God who made us. That's where we find our identity. So I'm at home, I'm reading and preparing and I get a phone call. I get a phone call from a friend of mine who's got the most successful Italian restaurant in our city. You two could have a body like mine if you neglect it. And, uh, you know, I went to the doctor the other day and I said, doctor, you've got to understand obesity runs in our family. He said, sir, nobody runs in your family. And so I didn't think that was very funny. But I like my Italian food. And so this friend of mine, I'm mentoring him and his company. He's got the awarded Italian restaurant. He says to me, Danny, can you come now? I thought, oh, he's cooked up something new he wants me to try. He said, no, my daughter, she's 19 years old and she wants to kill herself. She's suicidal. She hates what she sees in the mirror. When she looks in the mirror, she thinks she's too fat. She thinks she's not worth loving. And even though she's got a boyfriend that really loves her. Danny, we're scared something serious is going to happen. Will you come? I go down, I said, I'll be there in half an hour. It was 11.30. I thought, if I get there in half an hour and finish by 12.30, they'll give me lunch. So, oh, I'm being, being funny. So I go down to this restaurant. We go into a little corner. I'll call her name Mary because her name's not Mary. And I said, Mary, do you really hate yourself? She goes, yeah, I'm ugly. I, I hate getting out of bed in the morning. I don't like what I see. I said, look at you. You're beautiful. You've got lovely hair. You've got a beautiful face. You, you, you. you even outwardly, you are fine. I don't think like that. I said, were you bullied at school? She goes, yes. Have you been bullied on social media? Yes. There's not too many that haven't these days. And so I start talking to her and I said, Mary, do you believe in God? She goes, yes, but I don't think he likes me either. That was her words. I said, oh, you're so wrong. See, your identity doesn't come from what you think. Before you were born, God knew you were going to be here. And I started to speak into her life about her God identity and the tears just started running. She goes, are you telling me the truth? I said, I would never abuse you by lying to you. Take my hands. I said, look into my eyes. You are beautiful and God has got a purpose. You're at university. You're doing fantastic. You've got a boyfriend who cares about you. Your mum and dad are here right now, both bawling their eyes out. Going, they love you. She goes, oh, they're the best. She goes, mum and dad are the best. And they, she leans on her mum's shoulder and they're crying. I said, well, don't be lied to anymore. 
You know, the world says Christianity brainwashes you. Yes, it does. We all need our brains washed. The only thing is we choose who washes our brains. The world doesn't choose who washes their brains. They get totally sucked in by the spirit of the age. I said, Natalie, whoops, I just gave away her name. (laughs) Mary. She actually knows I'm telling the story. I said, would you let me organize someone to love on you and spend time with you from the church I used to pastor down the road? She goes, yes, please. I've been gone for months. I've been in Africa for a month and I got to preach at our home church as soon as I got home. Natalie's on the front row with her boyfriend who's now come to Christ, with her brother who's come to Christ. Mum and dad are now coming to church and she comes up and gives me the biggest hug. She starts bawling. She goes, you changed my life. The day before I came here, I came here on Wednesday. Tuesday, I'm having lunch with a pastor in that restaurant. I don't go there every day, but, but I was there. And the mother comes up to me and bursts into tears. She goes, all my daughter talks about is Jesus. She's bawling. She goes, how can she change from such darkness to such light? You see, she found her identity because she had a revelation of deity. Our identity is found in deity, not church programs and not who speaks nicely to you or not. If the church never did another thing for me, I'm never walking away from Jesus or church because I don't go to church for what I get. I go to church for to give him honour and to give him worship and to give him the amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. I'm nearly done. So number three, you go from deity to identity and then gives him his destiny. You know something? I have never chased the will of God. I believe the will of God chases me. I just got to love deity every day. And if I'm in love with deity, and I know my identity is not found on the size of my church, I've left a church of 7,000 people and I spend most Sundays in churches of 200. Why would I do that? Simply because that's what God asked me to do. It's not about the size of my church. It's about the size of my heart and the obedience that comes from it. And I want to tell you, I've got a vision that some of the greatest revivals are going to come from country churches. Some of the greatest revivals are going to come from regions nobody ever heard about. That's just like Jesus. That's where He came from. Nazareth, can anything come out of there? Pukekohe is a lot prettier than Nazareth. But watch out. Watch out for what's going to come out of places like this. Because our destiny is not based on who we hang around with who's who in the zoo of the green room and what conference we go to. The destiny of God for my life came looking for me as a young boy. I've never had to chase God. God's chased me for my destiny. But let me tell you, I have to find my identity in knowing deity. And that way, insecurity goes out the door. I was the speaker nobody wanted when Youth Alive was happening many years ago because I was the afternoon speaker where everybody fell asleep. So it didn't matter who spoke. But the night rallies were Pat Masiti and guys that were evangelists and they had healing anointings. I got prayed for at the age of 19 and I would have a binding together anointing. I thought, is that all? Guy from America goes, you're gonna bind together. He's going to be an evangelist. He's going to travel the world. He's going to have a bit. And I'm just going to bind together. I have my Wheaties every morning. I didn't know what binding together was. And here I am, 62 years of age, binding together, going all over the world. Why? Because deity has marked my identity. Therefore, I can trust him with my destiny because then he gives me authority. He says to Peter, Peter, you know what? Now that you know who I am, I'll show you who you are. Now I'm going to show you what you're going to do. You're going to build my church. It's going to be so expansive that the gates of hell won't be able to stop you. Wow. We, when we talk about the gates of hell will not come against us, we think that, that, that uh, Satan's chasing us. I've never seen anyone go to war with gates. Have you ever seen someone run, run down the street with a couple of gates? Going to kill somebody? Maybe you have. You know, someone drunk might do that, but... Gates are not offensive weapons, they are defensive weapons. The army is the church, not the devil. And the army does the advancing and the devil can't stop the church being built. 
Thank God for that kind of church. I believe I grew up in a deacon-possessed church. I was in board meetings in my dad's church where they had physical punch-ups. I was 14 when the police came to stop a brawl in our church. You would wonder why I'm even standing here. I should have gone into business. But I am into God's business because even the worst of church experience is better. The stink inside the ark, better than the storm outside, is better than what the world's got to offer. And then he says, not only will I give you authority and the gates of hell will not be able to stop you, you're going to have last of all victory because whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you bind in heaven will be bound on earth. And so all of a sudden I'm reading this after, I've told you her name now, Natalie. After meeting with Natalie, I went home and read this scripture when I told her about her identity and I wrote this down. All that, if we could put, can we put all the words up there at once? Put all the words up there at once. And we, um, if you can't, don't worry. That, let me tell you, once we know deity, we will establish our identity. We can trust God with our destiny. If God tells me tomorrow to stop preaching and go and buy a fish shop or come to New Zealand and sell the best mussels you can ever find uh, and, and have a restaurant, I'll do it. It's all ministry. Ladies and gentlemen, every one of you in this room is in ministry. Ministry is not a platform. You have a platform when you go home and reheat this pasta and put it into practice because you will know deity. Deity will establish your identity. Your identity will release your destiny. And because of your destiny, you will have authority. Because when you are the authentic you, you carry authority. Do you know you can have a position and carry no authority? And when you speak, the words hit the ground. You've got to have the authority to the destiny that God calls you to, because it's authentic you. And then there's a victory that says, hey, whatever you fix on earth properly will be fixed because you're doing it through your destiny and because you know deity. I'll keep saying it to you this morning. So you have your identity so that you can have authority and live in victory. Now I'm going to close with this because time's gone. I went to preach for a friend of mine just recently, very quickly. I'll be as fast as I can. I went to preach for a friend of mine in the country region of Murray Bridge in South Australia. Indigenous Aboriginal people are coming in and getting saved off the streets. A church of 400 adults, 200 youth. A friend of, C he's in the CRC church in Adelaide. His name is uh, uh, um, Josh, Josh O'Callaghan and Belinda. I'm preaching in their church and in the midst of worship, I saw a picture of me driving up to the church. I'm already in church, the car's parked, but I'm seeing a picture. And as I pulled up at the church, I saw a big H at the front of the building. And God said to me, you know, the church needs to be a hospital. It needs to be a hospital for the broken inside the church and the broken outside. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not the good people at church and the bad ones outside. We, I've got non-Christians that are much nicer than Christians. Friends of mine, I really do. And let me tell you, Christians can get so grumpy about silly stuff and get all religious and they get convictions that are not biblical conviction. Oh, think about that one. And so there's broken in the church and there's broken outside the church. And God's looking for an honest church, an open but broken church that says, search me, O God, like David, who stuffed up so bad, committed adultery, did a whole lot. He goes, but search me, O God. If there's anything in my mind, anything in my manner, anything in my motives that's not of you, create in me a clean heart. Search me. He was called a man after God's heart, not because of his perfection, but because of his affection. He stayed affectionate towards God so God could take him on a journey of wholeness. And that's the kind of church we need. And then I saw another picture of a community, all these new houses going up in this big community area. And I thought, what's that? And he said, the church needs, I saw a lot of housing blocks going up, all new homes. And God says, the church needs to be a community. It has to be a hospital. It has to be a community. But I wasn't ready for the last picture. In my mind, I saw the picture of me parking my car and getting out and seeing an army barracks. And God says, a lot of people join churches because they're cared for and because they are connected, but they don't want to embrace the cause of Jesus Christ. You see, if you love Jesus, you embrace his cause. We are not just care and connection without a cause. Because if one day you don't feel cared for anymore, if one day you don't feel connected, like I don't feel connected in this church, well, you'll go to another church and be cared for and connected until you don't feel that there anymore. Then you'll divorce that church and find another one because you've never gone to stage three and embraced the cause of Christ. 
And so we are a hospital that cares. We are a community that connects. But we are an army with a cause that wants to see the lost saved and people come to Jesus Christ. You know why? Because your story becomes my story. My story, will the musicians please come, become your story. That becomes our corporate story and that becomes his story. Make 2018 a year of you having your own story of deity leading you and doing miracles. Now, I know this is my third closure. Can I take two more minutes? Listen to me carefully. Jesus says these things to Peter. What did Peter do? He went on and stuffed up. He went on and denied Christ. Do you know, he even told Jesus not to go to the cross. What a great pastoral heart. Hey, Jesus, don't go to the cross. This is gonna kill you. Yeah, it is gonna kill me. Don't go to the cross. You don't need to do this. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan, because you're thinking from a human point of view. The greatest work of the devil in the church is when we think from a human point of view. We need to go back to those five points of revelation. And so what happens is Peter goes and does all this stuff and then he gets to the end of his life. He's about to die. He's probably 99 years old. I don't know, maybe 100, maybe 90, I don't know. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, I used to think this was an instruction for leaders. It was his testimony. He says this, care for the flock, feed the flock, don't lord it over them, shepherd the flock. Maybe Peter was telling us his story because one day he denied Christ goes back to fishing. Disappointment brings him back to the shore when he sees Jesus again. Haven't got time to tell you the full story. And Jesus goes, Peter, do you love me? Hey, Pete, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Get back to what I called you to do. Now in his old age, he's writing to the elders. And he goes, this is my story. Feed the flock. Because I nearly stuffed it up. But I finished my race. Humble yourself before a mighty God and in the right time, He will lift you up. What about the night that Jesus took a towel, started to wash the disciples' feet and Peter goes, not me, Jesus. I'm not worthy for you to wash my feet. And he goes, Peter, I've got to do this. And Peter goes, wash all of me. Peter was an all or nothing guy. Now he gets to the end of his life. Humble yourself before mighty God. Because in due season, I can hear him telling the elders, I was there once where pride was in my life. And Jesus, out of His own example, taught me humility. Cast all your care upon Him because He cares for you. What about the night in the boat when there's a storm and Jesus is asleep in the boat? And Peter, not the other disciples, Peter, starts to wake up Jesus and he goes, don't you care that we perish? Now as an old man, he says, cast your care upon Him. Peter was telling us his story. Every one of you in this room has a story and we can't do God because of what some say. We can't do God because of Yamcha. We heard a little bit of T.D. Jakes, a little bit of, you know, uh, whatever, Hillsong and a little bit of that song and Daddy's song and somebody else's song. No, that's all good to be an and, but it should never be an or. It's an and to our lives. We learn from everyone. But what do you say? Because when my son died, two of the biggest churches in Australia, pastors said to me, if that happened to me, I could never preach again. Can you imagine saying that to me? I could never preach again. Well, I'm still preaching, not because I'm great, but because I know deity for myself. He has given me my identity for life, not just in the good times. He has stamped my destiny given me godly authority, not authoritarianism. And I live in victory. Father, today, I want that for this house. I believe with all my heart that there's a new beginning, there's a new stage, there's a new door, there's a new opening, there's a new era. Thank you for all the good seeds that have been planted in this house over many years, those that have gone before the people that are here now. Thank you for all the bad things that have happened in this house, if we can learn from them. Father, can we make every situation 
not become a place of repeating what's wrong, but repairing it. So we then can go on and reproduce, be fruitful, multiply and have dominion because we're not parking at the old ark, but we're letting you build a new wineskin. We take the good and the bad and we learn from it all and we move forward and find deity for the house, identity for the house, destiny for the house, authority on this house. And victory for this house, I pray in Jesus' Name. While every head's bowed and every eye closed today, you might be here and you go, Danny, I'm a churchian. Or I don't even go to church. I don't even know if I believe in God. But you're totally disconnected from Him. I could not go another day with my grief without knowing God is speaking to me. I was sitting yesterday talking to your pastor about a psychologist friend of mine, Dr. Ray Andrews, who had a nervous breakdown at the age of 36 and now he's about 70 and he's one of the world's top psychologists, but he operates in the gifts of the Spirit, word of knowledge. I said, you've got to get him. You've got to get him to come and talk to your people because oh, the healing that will come is unbelievable. We're sitting having breakfast and I got a text from him. Haven't heard from him for four months, three or four months. And while we're having breakfast, he texts me. Praying for you right now and the church that you're at, wherever you are in the world. Was woken up this morning, burdened to pray for you. May God use you today to encourage and bless. He was praying for me. He's in the Blue Mountains preaching this morning in Australia. That's how much God loves this house. That I'm not here to preach today, I'm here to reach. And while every head's bowed and you go, Danny, I'm disconnected from the voice of God. I'm disconnected from knowing God. I don't know my identity. I look at myself and I think I've got nothing to offer. Will you pray that God will reveal Himself to me in a way that I find deity afresh starting this week in the Bible as you read and, and, and finding your identity again and, and, and getting your destiny back together, letting God do it, not you. And you go, I've been disconnected. I've been just going through the motions. I'm not going to embarrass you. Time is gone, but I'm going to pray a quick but very meaningful prayer. If that's you and you're totally disconnected from God this morning and say, Pastor Danny, pray that what you've just preached will become my experience. I'd love you to slip up your hand and put it down again. And I want to pray for you today. Is there someone in the house today that says, yeah, thank you, God bless you. 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 You guys are so kind to be responsive. I'm so grateful to God that you're receiving the Word today. I really am, because we do really love you. And I mean that from all my heart. I feel, I feel a real passion for this house. I really do. For all of you. If you've made mistakes, that's okay. I make them all the time. Father, today I pray for these dear people that have raised their hand, whether this is the first time to connect with you or the thousandth time. I pray today that what I've preached will become a reality. Father, let people take these words home today and pray over them. Say, God, please establish my identity. Oh, God, please, I want to know you as my Father, as deity. I need my destiny to be revealed because I don't know what you want me to do. But God, I'm willing to say yes. Father, I need your authority in my life. I want to walk in victory. Father, I pray those five words over the next 12 months of this church. I pray that this church in the next 12 months will have an incredible connection with deity. May the prayer meetings be different than any they've had before. But may this season of prayer and fasting be amazing because deity's coming back to the house with clarity, with absolute clarity. May the identity of this church become clear. May the destiny of this church become clear. May the authority of this church become clear. And may victory be the outcome. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.